we're continuing from this morning's sermon, training in grace, training in grace. And so there's two points we want to look at this evening. The grace of God trains us to live for him now. And secondly, the grace of God trains us to live for his return. And so this morning we looked at the first part of verse 12. Um, This evening we want to examine that second part. So earlier we saw how the grace of God trains us to deny ourselves, to renounce our disregard for God, namely ungodliness. Or secondly, to renounce worldly passions, namely our desires, which are aroused by the enticement of worldly things and the world's system. When an athlete trains to compete, they do two things. Firstly, they refrain and deny themselves of something. They abstain from certain foods, certain pleasures or certain activities. But secondly, they, are, they have certain routines, you know, these daily routines they practice to form part of their lifestyle so that they are fit and ready for activity. The same can be said of how the grace of God trains every true believer. Whilst grace teaches us to deny ourselves in a negative effect or aspect, the grace of God also teaches us in a positive aspect, which is to live for God. So we not only deny ourselves, we must also live for God. So let us read again Titus 2, verse 11 to 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. How should you all, how should we all, how should all true Christians live in this present age? Well, the Bible says here we should live self-controlled lives. We should be upright. But we should also, also live godly lives. And so here lies our first point. The grace of God trains us to live for him now, in this present age. Remember a few sermons ago, we mentioned that all Christians since Jesus Christ came are living between two points of of time, two points in time. The the first appearing of Jesus Christ, that is his first coming. Him born of the Virgin Mary grew and he grew in stature, but also in dependency on the Holy Spirit. He was baptised, revealed as the Son of God at confirmation. He came to take away the sins of the whole world. He suffered at the hand of those he came to save. Willingly went to the cross of Calvary to die for sinners. He took on the penalty suffered in our place, the penalty due to us. But raised on the third day by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of the Father, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. But now this Jesus ascended into heaven, crowned with many crowns. Crown him, we say, the King of kings and the Lord 
of Lords. That is the grace of God that has appeared. That first point in time. But there is a second point in time when Jesus will return to judge the world and to take home his bride, namely the church. Now, this period in between is what we call the present age. And that's what verse 12 is referring to. What people ought we to be, ought we to be in this present age? I've said the grace of God not only trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, but we don't just follow just sets of rules. We're not just following sets of rules to do this or not to do that. Otherwise, we wouldn't differentiate ourselves from an unbeliever, an atheist or agnostic or anyone otherwise. But faith in Jesus is not just about denying self, but living for him now. As much as living for Jesus in this present age is a period of time, it is also a specific time. Now. How are you living for the Lord now, this moment? Well, once upon a time, I read my Bible. How are you living now? I used to attend church regularly, regularly. How are you living now? Ah, those days when I used to spend time with the Lord and weep before him and just enjoy spending time with the Lord. How are you living now? Life is so busy. I don't have time for these things. How are you living now? You see, your life now matters Because this present age is short in comparison to what is coming. Your life now is significant as as it reveals whether you are living a life for Jesus Christ, purchased for you, or you're living for yourself. Galatians 1.20 reminds us and says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But Paul goes on to say something else in Galatians 1.21. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness was through the Lord, then Christ died for no purpose. What is Paul saying? He's saying that Jesus died for you and me so that we may live for him, for his will, for his purpose, for his pleasure. Jesus gave himself for us to show the extent of his loving kindness. Our response must be only to then live for him, to love him and to live now in this body of flesh for him in this present age. Notice he specifically says flesh. So he's saying with all the weakness of flesh, our war against sin should be overcome by our greater love for Jesus and what he's accomplished for us. That's why he says in that verse 21 in Galatians 1, therefore concludes that I do not nullify the grace of God. Why? Because if our righteousness only came by rules and regulations of the law, then the blood of Jesus would be pointless and meaningless. Brothers and sisters, we nullify the grace of God when we reduce our faith in Jesus to just law, just traditions, just rules. 
We don't live just like that. You're missing out on living that Zoe life of God. That's the life that God intends for us to live. That life of faith in the grace of God, namely Jesus Christ. The Bible says the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous live by faith. And so as we return to our main text in Titus, we have this in mind that living by grace, by the grace of God, is through faith in Jesus. No other means, no other way. Training by the grace of God is also through faith in Jesus Christ. How do we live this life Paul talks about? Well, we're given three life attributes in verse 12 in Titus 2, afforded to us by the training of the grace of God. Firstly, self-controlled living. This is relating to our personal being, this personal being. Secondly, it talks about an upright living. It's relating to our standing within the world that we, we, that we are presently in. And thirdly, godly living, relating to how we regard God. So our personal being, how we stand in this world and how we relate to God. Horizontal, internally, but also vertical as well. So let's look at this first point, self-control. You and I are to live self-controlled lives in this present age. Self-control is not just what we don't do or we refrain from, but what also we do. It is both a denial of something and obedience in doing something else. It is sound mind, showing self-restraint, behaving soberly. This is the fruit of the Spirit we know about in Galatians, which comes through the grace of God working in us. We say yes to what we should do and say no to what we should not do. It doesn't mean that we won't struggle with sin, but the grace of God teaches us to know that our identity is not that we are held by sin, but that, our, that now we are dead to sin. When we are in Christ, we are now dead to sin. And if we are dead to sin, we have made, we've been made alive in Christ. We are born again. So therefore, we are enabled to not only say no to sin, but we can walk in the Spirit because we are a new creation in Christ. And so the battle to discipline the body begins with the discipline of the mind. So also for men, women, young women, young men, to have self-control, as we looked at in previous sermons, as we, we looked at in the, in the earlier passages in chapter 2, we need the mind of Christ. That's what we've been going through in Philippians also, that mind of Christ. Whilst, whilst we are reminded in, in chapter 1, 2, that the Cretans, these Cretans, these are always liars, the Bible says, always evil beasts, lazy gluttons. That is that they have a life, they live a life without self-control. But a Christian that demonstrates self-control has the mind of Christ and walks in the Spirit. See, the mind of Christ comes from being trained each day by sound doctrine, the sound instruction of God's word. And we see that in chapter 1, verse 1, the knowledge of the truth. We need to have that. In chapter 1, verse 9, Paul tells Titus to give instruction in sound doctrine. 
And then in chapter 2, verse 1, he tells him again, teach what accords with sound doctrine. See, furthermore, the Holy Spirit helps us to place every passion or desire in its rightful place. Forgoing sinful passions, desires, and having a new affection for God can only be done by the Spirit of God. But also refreshing our minds in God's Word, being taught by sound doctrine, so as to live, the Bible says, for the rest of our time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That though judges in the flesh, the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. 1 Peter 4, 2-6. So self-control is a fruit of the spirit. And we ought to live in the spirit. What does that mean though, to live in the spirit? It means having a consciousness and practicing the presence of God. Wherever we may be, how we are living, to know that God is with us, that we're not just by ourselves, but God is aware of what we're doing. We practice the presence of God, but we feed our minds also on God's word. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. And then we ask the Lord to help us to be people of prayer, to constantly pray in the Spirit which means to depend on God as we pray. When we come to the Lord, we're coming to depend on his will and his answer and his way. Secondly, we are to live upright. So this second attribute mentioned of uprightness, we are to live upright lives in this present age. It involves an attitude, a behaviour to others. Christians are to have the right conduct and to walk morally upright in accordance with God. what God requires, his holy law. It is as Paul instructed in Titus 2, verse 7, to show integrity, says the Titus. Show integrity, dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned. We are to practice righteousness as Jesus is righteous thus proving that we are righteous in Christ. Those who are trained by grace are those who practice righteousness. There is a training that is involved. Righteous living is the outcome of a life that is submitted to the righteous rule of God and in turn, duty to God, but also to his people. The Bible reminds us in Titus that how we live should be in a way that People can't condemn the gospel that we profess. It's very important. How we live should adorn the gospel of God. It should make it beautiful and attractive to others. Godliness. Thirdly, we are to live godly lives in this present age. It's an attitude and a behaviour to God and what he requires. Remember in chapter 1, verse 16, there were some of the circumcision party who professed to know God, but they denied him by their works. They proved that they were actually ungodly because they had no, they had no regard for God at all. They said they, 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 they professed to know him, but what they did, their behaviour, their actions, 
spoke differently because they disregarded who God is. The opposite is true for a believer of Christ. The grace of God teaches us to depend on God, to trust in his providence, to care about what honours him, to resist what he hates, to obey his commands from a place of love. Ultimately, we're living for his glory and glory alone. Now, those are the three attributes learned in the school of grace in this present age. Living self-controlled lives, living upright lives, living godly lives. We can conclude that a godly life includes a spirit-empowered self-control and behaving righteously towards others. That, that is how we are to live in this present age. There is, there is one further way Christians are trained, though, by the grace of God. The Bible says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. The grace of God is eternal and cannot be limited only to the here and now. And so whilst the grace of God trains us to live for this present age, there is an age to come. The Bible says that God helps us to look forward to this blessed hope. And this is our second point this evening. The grace of God trains us to live for Jesus' second coming. See, if we read verse, chapter 2 again, verse 11 to 13, our focus being 13, we read again, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, which we've just spoken about, but what else? Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Verse 13 is key here. All true Christians are in training to wait for the blessed hope. What is this hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God, of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. This hope of Jesus' second coming is not a possibility, but a certainty. It's a sure hope that he will come back. This is not a worldly hope that is maybe, but even it's more saying this is a blessed hope. This is a happy hope. This is something that we should rejoice about. What you and I are waiting for is an exciting thing. It's something that is praiseworthy. It's a blessed hope. See, we know the return of Jesus means quite the opposite for those that are not in Christ. For us, it's a blessed day, a blessed hope. For those who are not in Christ, it's a day of reckoning, a fearful day, a day of dread, a day of judgment. The Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But for us as Christians, why do we need training for Jesus' coming? It's a sure hope. It's a blessed hope. But why do we need training? We need training to wean us, don't we? We need training to wean us from this present age. 
We are to live in this present age, but we face so many challenges and, and, and so many things that attract us that we feel like this is our home. This is not our home at all. We are to live waiting for Jesus' return, not just to exist here. We don't just exist in this world as if like, I'm, that, that, this is all there is. There is more to come. We don't just exist here without a care for how we disappoint the living God. We are not to be conformed to this world, but in living differently. Why? Because we have an ultimate home. We have a blessed hope. We have a blessed home to come. And so the grace of God teaches us to live as pilgrims, never too comfortable in this world. So we will face challenges because we can't get too comfortable. If we get too comfortable, we miss our focus. We lose our sight. So the grace of God sometimes brings challenges along the way so that we are never too comfortable or attached to this fleeting and sinful world. This present age is the training ground for eternity. This earthly race before the the, the heavenly realm the eternal realm to come. There's a reality to come when our faith will become sight, when we will no longer have to bear uncertainty. I always remember what Elizabeth Elliot says, that sometimes waiting on God requires us to bear uncertainty. We're waiting. But it's the uncertainty is because we know that there's a blessed hope. Sometimes in this present age, there's so many things that distract us from that blessed hope. But we can trust in that one day our sight, our faith will become sight. (coughs) And we shall be like he is. We shall find our rest in him. We shall be home at last. Like the hymn says, for there our heart will find its treasure. Christ is ours forevermore. Second reason why we need training for Jesus' second coming is that we need training because we need to look forward to eternity where we'll be without sin, where we will be sinless, no longer striving to renounce sin. As we live in this present age, waiting, waiting for, on Christ to return, it should fill us with a longing to to go and be with the Lord, to be free from sin. See, the blood of Jesus has redeemed us and delivered us from the penalty of sin, which is death. But increasingly, we are loosed from the power of sin. We are no longer held bound by those sin for who the Son has set free is free indeed. But yet we must continue to grow in renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions. Our failures and falling short of God's standard should make us yearn for when the presence of sin will be done away with in our lives. 1 Timothy 4, 7-8 says this, Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some benefit, of some value, godliness, godliness is of value in every way as it holds a promise for the present life and also the life to come. It's so vital for this 
present life, but also the life to come. And so we must be trained by the grace of God so that we can look forward to this time that's coming when there will be no more pain, no more sinning. Thirdly, our training in expectation of the, the second coming reminds us that just, that, that just as the grace of God has appeared, this future grace will also appear. What is this future grace that, that John Piper often talks about? He's talking about this glory, the appearing of the glory of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We don't know the time. We don't know. The Bible says that he will come like a thief in the night. But yet Paul is reminding us that we need urgency as well as endurance as we wait for this blessed hope. We can place our hope in Jesus and not what the world has to offer. And so we need training in alertness. Not just to stay away from this, for this sermon, right? But as watchmen keep watch, we also keep alert, looking out when the light of Christ will appear. We need to be trained to keep our eyes alert, open, wide open, ready for his return. We need to be trained in urgency. Why? Because Jesus will return and we neither know the hour nor the time. So we're urgent to share about Christ. To share about the grace of Christ. Also, we are urgent to deal with sins in our lives, the challenges we face. But thirdly, we are in training for endurance. Endurance because waiting means we will need to do the holy work of living for Christ as we wait patiently. So even as we wait patiently for the Lord, we know that we are being renewed day by day. We're being transformed day by day. And so there's a holy work to be trained for godliness. We have a responsibility as well as the grace of God working in us. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But we endure. We endure hardship. We endure the things that are holding us back. Lay, pulling those things down. Those things that easily ensnare us. And pursue Christ, living for him. And so we wait patiently on the promise of his return. But fourthly, training for the second coming means we will live for the revealing of the glory of Jesus Christ when he returns. We're being trained to live for the glory. There's a part of the Bible where it says that we are, that the, 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 the earth is groaning, waiting for the revealings of the Son of God. This is not what it's saying here. This is the revealing of Jesus himself. Jesus as the glory of God to come. He will come and he will appear. This Jesus who humbled himself by taking the form of a servant at his incarnation. His life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his work for sinners which culminated in his exaltation. The ascended God-man, now seated in glory with a name above every name, he will return with this wonderful glory to his people. Are you living for the revealing of the glory of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ? It'll be a glorious thing to see Christ exalted, Knees bowed, 
Every knee bowed. Every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're reminded of when Jesus came into Jerusalem on the donkey. And they lay down the clothes and the clocks on, on, on the ground. And they said, they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. But Jesus is coming back, not on a donkey anymore. But he's coming back with fire in his eyes. The Bible says the faithful one will return. And he's coming for his bride. But he's coming also to judge the living and the dead. But also, it's going to be a glorious day because we're going to see his glory and we're going to say, Hallelujah, Hosanna, 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 the King reigns. Hosanna in the highest. So the glory that will be revealed will be seen by every eye. Even those who pierced him, says the Bible. Revelations 1.7. Every sinner will see Jesus appear. His glory, full of glory. So as we close, for those who stand by grace and are being trained by the grace of God, it leads us only to worship. When we wait on the Lord, it can only lead us to worship him, not just now, but worship this God and saviour that's to come. Those who have rejected this grace of God, however, this revealing is a fearful thing. It's a fearful thing. So how should we live? How should we live in this period of time? When Jesus appeared in his incarnation and this blessed hope that is to come, this future grace, how should our lives be shaped? How should our attitudes and lives change. Firstly, gratitude. We need to be grateful for the accomplished work on the cross. See, our mistakes, our regrets, the lives that we lived before, those things that we don't want to look back on and before Christ, even the sins that we are now, the things that we commit now, our future sins, those achievements before Christ that we thought we held them in high esteem, those challenges we faced, we faced before and we face even now and we will continue to face, guess what? They've been nailed to the cross of God. They've been nailed there. That all our sins have been forgiven, our mistakes. We are not the sum of our mistakes. Christ has freed us. And therefore, our identity is that we are in Christ. So when he appears, when he appeared, he saved us. And when he comes, he saves us for him for eternity. We're with him forevermore. So now we live obediently for Jesus. Why? Because he came for you and he came for me. He's given us a life, a life abundantly. A life that has, he has rescued us from eternal damnation. He has made us his very own people. What a wonderful thing to know that we are God's people adopted into his family. It's a gracious thing that the Lord has done to give us everything that pertains to life and godliness. To make us his very own. 
to put us, the Bible says that we are with him in the heavenly places. It should only grow us to love and obey and serve our Lord. We don't serve him only out of duty, but out of love, out of because of what he's done for us. And so we respond with like, Lord, wherever you say, whatever you say I should do, I'll, I'll do. Wherever you say I'll go, I will go. I will depend on you. Even in weakness, brothers and sisters, even when we ourselves, there's things we don't feel we're capable of. We can thank the Lord that even in our weakness, the Lord is working through that. We may not be the best, have the best auditory skills, but the Lord uses us even in our weakness. We may not have the hands and the strength enough to, to do the certain things, but the Lord strengthens us in our weakness as we look to him. Secondly, we glorify Christ in our body in this present age. And so we're reminded that older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and in steadfastness. Older women are to be reverent in behaviour, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Teach the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands. Younger men, be self-controlled. Leaders, teach with integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That's how we glorify Christ in this age. So chapter 2 reveals how we should see ourselves. It will shape how we love others. Without identity, we cannot treat others as, as we should do. When we know we're in Christ, we love others. But also it teaches us to say no to sin. What is your motivation to live for Jesus this evening? Don't just live to escape this world. Brothers and sisters, the challenges that we face in this world, let us not just endure them just almost like an easy escapism. Just, I just want to be the Lord. There are things that the Lord wants us to learn through the circumstances that we can't afford to miss. James talks about it. It says that even in our circumstances, we should pray to the Lord for wisdom. He specifically says when we face challenges, we must ask for wisdom because God grants wisdom in those times. When we don't know what the Lord as an, as an outcome has in mind for those particular challenges, let's ask for God's wisdom. Don't live just to escape this world and go to heaven. God is, simply, is not simply a cheap means to an end. God himself is the reward. We want to be with the Lord. That's the reward, to be in his presence, spend time with him for eternity. Just bask in his glory, worshipping, singing Hosanna, saying hallelujah, brothers and sisters in Christ, together singing to our great king. Enjoy living for Christ even now. Enjoy the hardship. Enjoy the challenges of life. I'm not saying enjoy your sin, but saying to the Lord, Lord, help me to overcome this sin so I may live 
truly to enjoy living for you in this present age. Thirdly and finally, so we've talked about gratitude, G, glorifying God, but the third G, prepare to greet Christ. Prepare, Prepare to greet Christ. What do I mean? As you would to prepare to meet an earthly king, prepare all the more to meet the king of kings. Be ready to greet him. That holy handshake. That, that handshake that says, welcome, good and faithful servant. Prepare to meet our king. We are in need of much patience and endurance as we wait for the blessed hope. The appearing of the, of our, of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ. You don't have to be perfect to meet and greet him. This is not like when we go to the airport and you have that meet and greet, you know, and you drop off your car. This is not dropping off your car. This is your meeting him to go home with him. It's for eternity. There is no coming back here to this sinful world. Why? Because there's a new place, a new heaven, a new earth where righteousness dwells. Well, God will be with us. We will dwell in his presence forevermore. Prepare to meet him. But we need, before then, to be enrolled into the school of grace. There's a school of grace that we need to be taught. We are heading for a glorious future, a glorious perfection to be with Jesus Christ. You can look forward to this return of Jesus Christ with certain hope. How? Wait eagerly. Wait faithfully. Wait with endurance. See, training in grace teaches us how to live for Christ now. But also training in grace prepares us for this blessed hope, a certain hope. My prayer is that we would know this blessed hope. That we would know this love that has been poured out for us. And that the Lord would wean us from this world and lift up our eyes, heavenly word, to his glorious return. Amen.